All right, folks, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Thursday night as I'm recording this following the Denver Nuggets win over the Sacramento Kings. They get off to a good start in the post-All-Star break schedule. Final score, Nuggets 128, Kings 110. This was a good game. This was a strong performance from the Denver Nuggets starting unit as a whole. I thought they played pretty well together, and I thought that there were some very strong individual performances, of course, that we're going to have to talk about. But this is a definite, definite good sign for the Nuggets and for their health for the second part of the regular season. And Michael Malone made mention of this postgame. The All-Star break came like they came at a great time where for Will Barton, for Jeff Green, for Aaron Gordon, for a lot of guys, this was a really, really long season that without Michael Porter, without Jamal Murray, you're going to be shorthanded for most of the year. And and lots of people forget that, hey, like, Vlaco Chanchar has been out since January. And actually, might even be earlier than that. P.J. Dozier tore his ACL before he was traded. Bull Bull was a non-factor on the end of the bench. The bench itself has just been a really, really tough situation. So all of Denver's high-minute players, the starters, Jeff Green, Faku Campazzo, Bones Highland, Austin Rivers, like you're absolutely going to need a break if you're those guys. And I'm definitely glad to see them come out with the same vigor, come out with the same intensity that they finished the All-Star break with. Or at least like they, they really kicked it into a higher gear this time around when they needed it, when they absolutely needed it in a big way. And this was a really good sign for this game. So Denver gets out to a really good start, 35-25. Uh, Sacramento kind of works it back a little bit. They push back in the, the second quarter. They push and tie it in the third quarter, despite the fact that Denver had a really good start to the third quarter. And then the bench, they come in and they and they do a really good job in the fourth quarter to set the tone, and then the starters clean house after that. So it was a really solid performance from the entire team. But we do have to start with one guy, and his name is Willie B. Buckets, Willie B. Barton, 31 points on 32 minutes, 11 of 17 from the field, 3 of 6 from 3, 6 of 6 from the line, 5 rebounds, 3 assists. Did have two turnovers, but I couldn't even tell you which ones they were. Had a block. A plus 27 in an 18-point victory. Will Barton was absolutely essential to the Nuggets tonight. They don't win this game without him, and they won by 18 points. He was fantastic. He was very efficient. He was effective. He made sure to work the two-man game. And despite the fact that he had 31 points, that he shot the ball the most on the team, I don't think he was selfish. I really don't. I honestly think that he played the game the right way and that the opportunities for him to score, they just kind of manifested themselves. He was finding the open gaps. He was taking advantage of a Sacramento defense that was not good. They had Davion Mitchell on somebody else. Most of the time, it was Bones Highland with the second unit and then with Mon- against Monte Morris. But Will Barton, he just absolutely picked apart the Sacramento Kings. And working with Nikola Jokic, working with Monte Morris, those three in particular were just absolutely rock solid tonight. 
from an offensive perspective especially. It was a clinic what the Nuggets were able to do. And they started the game really well uh, by attacking the paint. And Barton started this game with a couple dunks in transition where he got up on an alley-oop and then got up in transition for a nice uh, fast break dunk. He looks good. He looks spry. He looks like he's engaged. And it is sort of funny that we, we hear this from national folks that have covered the team for not, – not this team specifically, but covered the league for a while. Matt Moore has said this, good friend of the program, where if you're a veteran, you know how the schedule works. You know when to turn it off, turn it on. And it's pretty clear that Denver had several guys tonight, veteran types, that really turned it on. And I look at what Will Barton was doing, what he looked like when he went into the All-Star break, what he looks like coming out of the All-Star break. And I get really excited because if this version of Will Barton persists or somewhere close to that where he's definitive, effective, and efficient, then the Nuggets have a, a much higher ceiling, I think, than a lot of people considered. Barton was having a pretty career average year for all intents and purposes. He's had uh, seasons where he's rebounded better, where he's passed it better, where he scored better. But for most of it, he was pretty average. And that was a that was solid, like he was a solid starter. But this version of Barton, this one where he really takes it to the opposing team, where they can't guard him, and then he's hitting the jumpers, that's a really big deal. So I, I'm just very, very impressed. Got to the line six times tonight as well. That's a really big deal for him. And I'm happy for him because he's been denigrated a lot by some segments of Nuggets Nation. And I want I want to see him succeed more than anything. Like I really want to see Will Barton put forth a massive second half and then taking that into the playoffs where he looks and plays at a very high level. And if he can accomplish that, then the Nuggets ceiling raises. It just does. Even if you don't get back the best versions of Jamal Murray and Michael Porter, if you've got a roll-in version of Will Barton, then you're probably feeling okay. Let's talk about Nikola Jokic. I caught a little bit of flack today. Uh, look, here, here let, me, let me just preface this with saying, Nikola Jokic scored 25 points on 15 shots. He shot two of four from three, 12 rebounds, nine assists, four steals, one block, two turnovers was a plus 17 in a game of the Nuggets won by 18. He was good. Saying otherwise would be wrong. He was a good, very, very, very good basketball player tonight. The matchup across from him, DeMontis Sabonis, uh, he was exceptional. This was probably like, I, I don't know how great Sabonis has been throughout the year, but this is this has to be a top five game for him on the season. 33 points, 14 rebounds, five assists, 15 of 23 from the field. Sabonis was awesome, but he was only a minus eight. And I think what I got caught up in today, more than anything, when I'm speaking on Twitter, probably talking a little bit too fast, is that Jokic waits for the right time to really press different buttons. And he's so smart about when he does it that sometimes during the middle of segments of the game, it can feel like he's not doing enough. He scored 10 points in the second quarter, and it didn't even feel like it. He scored, like he, he had 5-3-3. Three, three. 
and like two steals and a block in the first quarter. And it felt like he wasn't necessarily involved all the time. He just finds ways to become a factor without being too loud in games like tonight. Like tonight, it was Will Barton's show tonight. It was DeMontis Sabonis's show tonight. And yet Jokic somehow still comes away with 25 points on 15 shots where he fills up the box score, gets a near triple double, and, and looks pretty good. So was I ahead of myself in, in maybe critiquing Jokic a little bit on the timeline today? Probably. Probably, let's be honest. But he sets the standard for himself so high that you want to see him win these matchups. You want to see him as he pushes towards, or maybe not he, but as one hopes that he pushes towards a an MVP once again, that you want to see him dominate matchups where you have like players going up against him and he holds them to worse stats than he has and the Nuggets win his minutes and the Nuggets win the game. And that's sort of the formula that you're looking for when you're looking for an MVP. And I think that if certain voters, let's say they looked at Denver's box score from tonight and they look at, okay, so Jokic had 25, 12, and 9. He was his normal good self. But man, Sabonis was the guy that he was defending and he let him get 33. I think there's enough people out there in kind of the casual voting block that will look at this and say, man, Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo, they would have dominated this matchup tonight. And whether that's right or wrong, I do think that it's a narrative that can be out there and will be out there in some of these games. So I get ahead of myself being very defensive for Yoke and wanting to see him earn all of the accolades that he deserves, that he greatly, greatly deserves. And so I don't want to like make it all about the accolades because Denver won the game today. That's really what it's about. Denver's 1-0 in the post-All-Star break, and they won against a team in Sacramento that has real aspirations for making the play-in, and they beat them by 18 points on their home floor, and they cooked them in the second in the fourth quarter. So, c'est la vie. I do think that Jokic helped put Denver into a position where they could succeed in the fourth quarter. And there was a funny video that uh, Rob Perez, Worldwide Wob, put out today where one of the smarter things that Jokic does in a fourth quarter where Denver is up and they're trying to nurse a lead is that he was able to, when he's inbounding the basketball, kind of waste some time like by being smart, by uh, he fumbled the ball, he he's arguing with a call, he's waiting the full five seconds before inbounding it. He's just wasting time milking the clock a little bit. And that's one of those things that a, a smart quarterback will do in the NFL. Or if you are Chris Paul, Chris Paul, like there was a funny clip that Jason Tatum talked about on the big man and the th- or the old man and the three or something like that, the uh, the JJ Reddick podcast where Jason Tatum's talking about Chris Paul and Paul says, Oh, we got to work for the three for two. And you've heard for the you've heard of the two for one, but you haven't heard of the three for two. Jokic is at that level. He's thinking of that game in those scopes where how can I make sure that we exhaust another extra minute on the clock every time I have to take the ball out of bounds? And he's doing that. He he does things in such a nuanced way that you just have to watch the game. You just have to see him work 
on a consistent basis in order to really fully appreciate it. So I appreciate it. I want to make it clear that I appreciate it. I think that he's freaking great. And the Nuggets have the best player in the world right now. Is he infallible? No. Nor should people consider him infallible. Is he close? Yeah, he's he's approaching that. Real quick on the rest of the starters. I I took way too long on that. Uh, Monte Morris, excellent game. Understated game for Monte Morris. 19 points on nine shots. Seven of nine from the field. Three of four from three. Two of two from the line. Four assists. One steal. One block. One turnover. Was a plus 25. Barton led the team at plus 27. But I do think that Morris, he's one of those guys that works so well with Jokic cutting off of him where uh, Davion Mitchell and Dante DiVincenzo and guys like that overplay Morris late into a shot clock and Morris finds the lane. He finds an opportunity to free himself up for open shots by off-ball movement. And that's one of the best things about having him as a point guard is he can move off the ball too. Three of four tonight from three. He's turned himself into an elite shooter or somewhere close to it. And having somebody like that is always going to be better around Jokic. So you can give up the ball. Sometimes you'll get it back. But even if you don't, then you're still a threat to catch and shoot or backdoor cut or screen away and then uh, come around for a DHO or something like that. Morris's game is just so well-rounded right now, and it's going to go kind of under the radar based off of what Barton did. But I do think that we've got some good signs here that Morris and Barton, they look great. Aaron Gordon also looks, I'll I'll say pretty good. He looked very good in the first quarter and then sort of tailed off after that. Had some impressive dunks, had some impressive transition moves, moved his feet pretty well, collected three steals, was a plus 18 and an 18 point win. So he was part of the unit. That was really, really helpful. Had 12 points, 6 of 10 from the field, 0 of 1 from 3. And I want to point that out, that in a game like tonight, where Aaron Gordon had a size mismatch against Harrison Barnes and Maurice Harkless, it's not the the massive size mismatch, but Harrison Barnes was guarding him for a lot of the night. And if it wasn't him, it was Jeremy Lamb or somebody like that. And It really stands out that Gordon takes nine shots inside the rim, goes six of nine, only one shot outside the two point, outside, outside the three point line. And that's the kind of basketball intelligence I think you need in these situations when you're playing a team like the Kings. They are not a good defensive team. Exacerbate their weaknesses, man. Just, just pick at it. Try to find the open seams force the opportunity, crash the boards, do everything that you can to overwhelm them physically. And he looked good doing it tonight. So hopefully the hamstrings looking good. Did have three turnovers, one of them on an offensive foul. Um, I do think that sometimes the defense was good. Sometimes the defense was bad. He didn't spend a lot of time on De'Aaron Fox tonight. He spent more time on Harrison Barnes. And Fox attempted 18 shots. Sabonis attempted 23 Barnes attempted seven, so Barnes was still effective, but it wasn't like it was a massive impact level. And uh, I'm, I'm going to talk about Jeff with the bench instead, because he he staggered with the bench, spent some significant time there with Zeke Naji out, so 
Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to circle back to the bench unit, talk about what worked, what didn't, and just go forward from there. But first, this podcast, as you know, Hoops fans, is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. And the latest offer that DraftKings Sportsbook is providing, it's just too good to pass up. It's between the legs 360 windmill good. New customers bet just $1 on any team. They get $150 in free bets if they win. It is that simple. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet on the NBA with new same-game parlays where you combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you win. It's that simple. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So make sure to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you do. Bet just $1 on any NBA team. Get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code MHS, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, restrictions apply, minimum $5 deposit. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. All right, we're back at it. Pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you could, it would be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Five stars if you can on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Those always help out the program a ton. And I really appreciate everybody that, that leaves those. It, it, it always brightens the day. always makes me feel good. All right. Uh, let's get into the bench units, which up and down tonight. Like, I, I don't want to sugarcoat it. I think that there are definitely some problems and there are definitely some positives where I think you have a guy like Austin Rivers who was very beneficial when closing with the starters in the second and fourth quarters. He looked really good in those moments. And I think that's something of a thing now that I, I've been trying to tweet about the, over the course of these past few days where you start to see some combinations really develop where the Morris-Rivers-Jokic combination is one of Denver's best, where it's got like a plus 24 net rating, and that's definitely maintaining or, or staying around that same point tonight because of what Rivers was able to do when he closed with the starters. But you also have some positives where Jamichael Green came in, and I thought that he had a really strong game. Did a lot of good things on both ends of the floor that I think might go a little bit overlooked Let's let's be honest. Demonte Sabonis had a had a monster game. There are going to be some times where Jermichael Green struggled stopping him. Jokic struggled uh, struggled to stop him. Jeff Green struggled. Uh, everybody kind of had their turn, and Demonte Sabonis really just he was he was fantastic out there. But in the moments where Jermichael Green was on the court, there were a couple things that I want to point out that were bad. A couple offensive fouls that I think. He continues to get when he is the center, when he is uh, somebody who tries to be aggressive and physical as a screener. For whatever reason, he doesn't really get the benefit of the doubt when he sets those calls or when he sets those screens. Uh, Davion Mitchell tonight was flopping everywhere. I don't know if he was one of the ones that really flopped on one of those screens, but there were several opportunities tonight for uh, Jermichael Green. What I thought he said, 
borderline screens, and they went against him pretty much every time. For whatever reason, he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. But on the other end, he was doing a really good job um, kind of matching the physicality of a Sabonis, of Damian Jones when he was out there, of Trey Lyles, like Lyles would, would pull up. He wasn't necessarily wanting to go anywhere near the offensive glass or anything like that. Uh, Jermichael Green holding down the fort tonight on the defensive end, I thought was really, really impressive. Denver had a number of runouts go against them where uh, Sacramento got out in transition, and Jermichael Green can't really control that, but he had a steal and a block. He had three rebounds, had a couple assists, did have five fouls, and, and I do think that he gets caught with those touch fouls pretty consistently, where he's the the culprit more often than not, who when he gets out on an island against somebody, he hits their arms. He hits, he bumps them, um, doesn't necessarily play without fouling uh, enough, in my opinion. But when he can stay out of foul trouble, he usually does pretty well. And tonight, the offensive end, we saw some good moments from him where he had a good two-man game with Bones, he had a good two-man game with Austin Rivers, and then he popped out to three a couple times and made both of his threes. And Jamichael Green at six foot eight, he needs to be a stretch five. Like, if he's going to play the five, he's got to stretch the floor because he's not really crashing the glass a ton, he's not really putting a ton of pressure on the rim. But if he's playing as the five, He's got to be able to stretch out Sabonis and Damian Jones and whoever the other matchup is, because that is what's going to help the rest of the unit, where they get their driving lanes. It was a good game from Jermichael Green tonight. Got to the line four times, made all four quietly. I didn't want to say this in the moment. I think he's up to 88% from the free throw line. Let me say that again. I think Jermichael Green is shooting 88% from the free throw line tonight. That's insane. That's really, really good. So career high for him. Now he's got the three-point shot going. Let's see if he can continue this going into the rest of the year because he started to have some good signs as a three-point shooter. Uh, He was trending in the right direction a little bit. Still wasn't great, but you go two for two. You have another couple games where you go one of two, or you go two of four, or you go one of three, and you start to look like a just a pretty solid shooting option. So I hope he gets back to that point. Denver needs somebody like him in the playoff unit. That's my that's definitely my opinion on that. Um Bones Highland, he really struggled tonight and Davion Mitchell was guarding him for most of the night and and let's be honest, Davion Mitchell is a professional defender. He is a rookie. He has his moments where he struggles. But good Lord, can that guy guard. He was physical tonight, and he was flopping tonight. Uh, when he was guarding Austin Rivers, when he was on Will Barton, he flopped multiple times, got the call every single time. And it was a little bit frustrating to watch for sure, but he was earning the benefit of the doubt by being in good proper position and getting into the airspace of the guys that he was uh, defending without fouling. And so Bones is trying to run the second unit like that, and it's hard. Like he he wasn't necessarily going to go anywhere. Do I think that Faku would have done a better job? No, I I actually I genuinely don't. I think that there were times 
in the previous Sacramento matchup where Faku got on, uh, where Davion Mitchell was guarding Faku and just absolutely demolished him. So I don't think this was a situation where you just go to the other option and you feel better. What Denver did instead was they found opportunities for Austin Rivers and Bryn Forbes to kind of be more creative. Uh, Each of those guys had a couple of assists. Austin Rivers had nine points. Bryn Forbes had eight points. Uh, They shot the ball efficiently. Uh, Austin Rivers, like I said, plus 11. I I didn't say that before, but uh, he was positive with with the starters, but he was also a positive with the second unit. Each of those guys hit important threes. And it made up for a bad performance, shooting-wise, from Bones. And look, five points, three assists, two rebounds, one steal. If that's the worst game that he plays, like it's going to be fine. Like they'll, they'll, they'll make it work. He was only a minus seven. Do I think that that is a problem? Um, where he is the the lowest plus minus. Yeah, it's not great. It's not. It's not fantastic. He he was a minus three going into garbage time is what I will say. And then the garbage time unit was a minus four. Um, So it's not like so cut and dry that this time you can look at the plus minus and be like, oh, he was awful. Um, Because Denver, when they had their main bench unit out there, was just a minus three. And you can deal with a minus three because Will Barton was a plus 27. Nicole Jokic was a plus 17. Those guys can make up the difference when it's just minus three and it's not minus 15. That's when you get into some really dangerous territory. So Denver in the first half did not have a good bench stint. In the second half, it was much better. They started off the fourth quarter really, really strongly. And the starters continued that. They they were very good for most of that time, but it was the bench unit that got them going. I do want to give good credit to Bryn Forbes, to Austin Rivers for being part of that, Jamichael Green, obviously, for being part of that for sure. Jeff Green tonight staggered with the second unit, and I didn't like it. I I thought that he was pretty bad, uh, to be frank. And he did have some good positive moments, and his plus minus was still plus 16 in 25 minutes, so it wasn't like he was awful. I think the majority of that was with the starters. But I do think that Denver with the bench unit, it is becoming increasingly clear that Jamichael Green should be more of a pick and pop guy and Denver needs more of a pick and roll guy. Somebody who's a bigger body that can play either next to Jamichael Green or if Zeke Najee comes back, then Zeke is also the the spacer and then DeMarcus Cousins is the center. DeMarcus didn't play tonight because he's not on the roster. And I, I made sure to mention this prior too. He isn't going to be signed until hopefully when you listen to this podcast in the morning, hopefully he will be signed at that point. Uh, That would be my expectation. It seems like it's a more financial thing for Denver where they want to duck the tax. And I I get it. I definitely get it when you've got two guys that are injured that are as important as Murray and Porter. But when Cousins ultimately comes back and when when he plays with this unit, I do think that Denver's going to be in a situation where they now can go to Jeff Green is the backup power forward, Jamichael Green is the backup power forward, Zignaji is the backup power forward. And there will be times where if Cousins is a little bit too slow for certain matchups, and they can go to a smaller look. And that'll be fine. And they, they have the personnel, if everybody's healthy, that they can do that at least reasonably. 
But I do think that just watching tonight, Jamichael Green played an admirable game as the stretch five, as the guy who was in the middle of the floor. I don't think it's what I want him to do for the rest of the season. I think the data backs that up. I think the Nuggets need to consistently go to Cousins more frequently, and that when he is signed, he should be a permanent part of the rotation, or at least some traditional center should be. What else? What else on this unit? Um, I did mention Jeff Green, but like he was three of nine, one of four from three. I, I just don't like the possessions that he gets with the second unit where he's then being fed in the post. And that's kind of the the ultimate the only time that he really makes any impact at all with that second unit, because it's not defensively. It's not really as a passer or a playmaker or a rebounder. So his entire I think profile of being an impactful player is more just about whether he could make those shots. And it wasn't great tonight, but it also didn't hurt Denver. So I'm not going to overly belittle it. But I do think that Denver, when they get back Zignaji, there's going to be some of that similarities. But Denver's going to need even better performances from Jeff Green going forward. That's my opinion. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to go uh, magic number searching, and we're also going to look at this win for Michael Malone, which was number 300 of his Nuggets tenure. We'll be right back. Final segment, pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much for tuning in. All right, let's get into uh, two different categories for the end of this podcast. I I do think that, look, this was a good way to start the second uh, part of the year. This is a good part to really emphasize that the Nuggets, like Michael Malone wanted to emphasize this pregame. He emphasized this to his players. He emphasized it to us in practice. He emphasized it to us pregame and then in postgame that the Nuggets had done a really nice job of finishing up the year, of finishing up the pre-All-Star portion of the season. What Michael Malone wanted to see was for them to bring that same energy and and keep that same focus and mentality and urgency coming out of the All-Star break. And Denver has struggled with this in the past, right? Where sometimes I look back to 2019-20 as one of those years where Denver had a traditional All-Star break it was a, a standard amount of time they had been rolling prior to, and then coming out of it, they were pretty sluggish. And Nikola Jokic was pretty sluggish. Jamal Murray was pretty sluggish. Denver just didn't really have the juice in order to make up for some sluggish play. And it nearly burned Denver. It didn't. But I do think that Michael Malone and the Nuggets kind of learned from that experience. And so it's nice to see them really actualize that in a situation where, hey, they're in the sixth seed. One slip-up or multiple slip-ups, and they could find themselves in the play-in. And I do think that that has been a reality for this Nuggets team. As, as they kind of look at the schedule, you see where everything's pointing out. And you see that there are a lot of talented teams 
including the Minnesota Timberwolves, who the Nuggets, I think they know that they're better than, but they also know that the Timberwolves have given them some problems too. So they know how good that team is. They know how good the Lakers can be. They know how good the Clippers can be. So you don't want to put yourself into a position where, oh man, we slipped up, now we're in the play-in, and now we're fighting for our lives in a win-or-go-home or lose-twice-and-go-home kind of situation. So it's nice to see them have that urgency. And I do think that that's part of Michael Malone's mentality. It's part of their mindset where he always brings that attention to detail. And more often than not, when Denver has a full complement of players or, or when they're pretty close to it and they're focused and they're locked in, you can see Mike Malone's traits rubbing off on the team where they have that urgency. They have that mentality of there's no quit. We're going to be resilient. We are going to lock in defensively in the fourth quarter. And that's how we're going to win games. And that's how they won tonight, frankly, where nobody was really stopping anybody for the majority of the game until Denver locked in in the fourth quarter and the bench really locked in in the fourth quarter and gave Denver a nice little margin, a nice little cushion heading to the rest of the fourth quarter where the starters kind of took it away. Malone has that mentality. That's what he preaches. That's how he coaches. And so it's nice to see that on a day where he goes back to Sacramento, he's clearly been thinking about this for a little bit. He gets his 300th win as a member of the Denver Nuggets. And it's actually his 320th win, but this is his 300th regular season win. He's won 20 games as the Nuggets head coach in the playoffs. And that's a pretty solid record in and of itself, by the way, that it's it's actually pretty impressive. I think he's gone 20 and 24, and that included a four-game sweep last year to the Phoenix Suns where Denver just had nothing left in the tank and no amount of coaching could have gotten Denver a win. So he has 20 playoff wins. He now has 300 regular season wins. Did you know that Michael Malone has a higher win percentage as the Nuggets coach than Doug Moe, who champion coach of the Nuggets, who's just been a massively uh, celebrated figure within the Nuggets sphere. Like he's, he's the guy who we christened Denver Stiffs after. Like Doug Moe was the guy who called his own players Stiffs. And it's nice to see that Michael Malone is now starting to really establish himself as one of the pillars of this Nuggets team. I don't know how many coaches are a longer tenured coach than Michael Malone. Let me just let me look at the standings really quick just to see if I can pick this off pretty quickly. Uh, you've got Eric Spolstra, uh, who's been in Miami for a long time. He's longer. You have... Uh, not Nick Nurse, not any of these other teams. No, no, no. No, no. Okay, Golden State, there's one. He's been there longer. Quinn Snyder, I think, has been there for longer in Utah. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, Terry Stotts got fired. Okay, San Antonio, that's one. I think Michael Malone is either the fifth or the sixth longest head uh, tenured head coach in the NBA. He, this is his seventh season. He has been with the Nuggets for a long time. And time kind of flies because I think a lot of people still have the impression of Michael Malone 
when he was starting to coach the up-and-coming Nuggets and how he would be very reactionary, how he would be very angry after losses, how he was having trouble kind of uh, holding down his temper in certain ways and not necessarily seeing the bigger picture. I do think he sees the bigger picture now. I think that he's gained a lot of perspective as the Nuggets coach, and he's been better and better for most of his time. And there have been times, there have been moments this year where I'm like, okay, dude, let's not overly rely on certain players in these critical situations. Let's make sure to get the ball to Jokic to call a play for him, to get it into his ear and make sure that, hey, he has to take a shot. Uh, Let's not overly rely on certain veterans, yada, yada, yada. That aside, Michael Malone has had a really difficult season to coach, given Denver's personnel, given their expectations combined with what they actually have. It's pretty clear that they're at a talent deficit for much of this season, and he's still making it work. And I just, I have a large appreciation for that, that in a really tough situation, he has stayed calm, he has stayed kind of true to his beliefs. He's made sure to hold everybody to a very high standard, and that even though Denver kind of falls short of that sometimes, you still get games like tonight, where Denver wins by 18 points on the road. It doesn't matter who the opponent is. You win by 18 on the road, you feel pretty good. And it just so happens that it was against the former franchise that fired him, way too prematurely. And it is interesting to see how Denver has continued to rise with Michael Malone as their guy. The Sacramento Kings continue to uh, go up and down, but mostly down. They're kind of in basketball purgatory for the end of time. They have made every poor mistake that you can possibly make in the last 15, 20 years. And they aren't helping themselves when they get rid of a guy like Malone, who is very good for the Nuggets' development, who made sure to establish these principles that the Nuggets still live by, that they still play by. And so I do want to give him some major props here, that in a situation like Denver has been this year, 34-25, and Denver's won four games in a row. They have one of the best point differentials in the NBA this year. Uh, one, two, three, four Eastern Conference teams and five Western Conference teams have a better point differential than Denver. That puts Denver at 10th right there. It's not that hard to figure out that the Nuggets are still a borderline top 10 team. And I do think that it's not just Jokic highlighting that it still is partially the role players, it still is partially the the structure. And the coach has a large say in both of those things. So, got to give him props. He's been really helpful. He's advocated for DeMarcus Cousins here. That seems to have worked as well. Maybe he knows more than he's letting on. Not not that he's letting on. Maybe he knows more than Nuggets fans give him credit for, is what I will say. Denver's magic number for getting a top six seed this year is 21. And magic numbers are something that I I don't know if people are super familiar with them. My colleague Matt Moore is very, very good at tracking these throughout the season. Uh, He has a good formula that he establishes, but here's the best way to calculate it if you're the Nuggets. And this is the only number that you need to watch for. Denver wants to be a top six seed. 
whether they're the four seed, the five seed, the six seed, I don't think that really matters to them as much. They just want to stay out of the play-in. And in order to stay out of the play-in, they have to stay ahead of the teams that are below them. And the team that is directly below them is the Minnesota Timberwolves. The Timberwolves are 32 and 28. They've played 60 games. They have 22 more. They have 28 losses. So hypothetically, I know this isn't reasonable, but just bear with me for the example. Let's say that Minnesota goes 22-0 in their final 22 games. They don't lose a single time. That puts them at 54-28 and on the season. So if you're Denver, then you need to stay ahead of Minnesota. And the only way to do that is to win 21 games and be at 55 wins on the year. The Nuggets have 23 more games left remaining. So if they go 21-2 and and Minnesota goes 22-0, and then Denver still stays ahead. So if you're tracking that, the combined number of wins from the Nuggets and losses from the Timberwolves is the magic number. So if the T-Wolves lose zero games, that means the Nuggets have to win 21 in order to stay ahead of them. If the T-Wolves lose seven games, then that means the Nuggets have to win 14. And the reason this is important, it's not necessarily about, oh man, we just need to know that we're better than the Timberwolves. Oh man, this is so important to us. No, it's not that. It's that when playoff scenarios and playoff seedings come down to the wire, in the last week or two of the season, the Nuggets are going to be faced with these scenarios where, okay, we've got the Lakers twice. We have a lot of different opportunities where we could go either way. We could maybe get up to the five if we really try, but all we need is one more win to get the six seed and make sure that we are top six. We don't get into the play-in. We are safe from that group. And so if you're Denver, that is the most important thing. So they are trying to figure out what is the threshold of wins that they need to get in order to escape the play-in. So if they get to that point, Denver might decide to rest some guys down the stretch. Or you might decide, hey, we can incorporate Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. and not necessarily worry about the results. All we have to do is worry about getting them healthy, getting them integrated, getting them comfortable. And if you do your work early, if Denver knocks this magic number all the way down to like 16 or 15 in these first five or six games, then they're going to be in a great position where you put the T-Wolves kind of to bed. You don't have to focus on them anymore. You don't have to focus on the Clippers or the Lakers anymore. And you get to focus on yourselves. You get to focus on the health of your own players, the health of Will Barton, who tonight was fan-freaking-tastic. You want to make sure that he stays at peak form, that when he gets into the playoffs, he's playing with the absolute aggression and precision and just fantastic ability that he showed tonight. You want everybody rolling at 100%. And you can't be doing that if you're worried about playoff scenarios, if you're going and taking it all the way down to the wire at the end of the season, trying to avoid the plan. So this is why it matters. If you do your work early, let's say Denver gets 13 wins 
in their next 20 games. They go 13 and 7. If Minnesota loses five games, then the magic number at that point is three. So Denver would be in a situation where that's all they have to worry about. These scenarios are important to me. They're important to the Nuggets, and they are important to just standings in general, where you can absolutely put yourself into the best position to succeed in the playoffs. Teams that manage this well are usually pretty good. And hopefully Denver puts themselves into a good situation heading into the final stretch of the year. And I hope that they do their work early because that would be a big deal for this Nuggets group in my mind. That's all. That's all I got. That's going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top rated sportsbook app. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I'm going to go play Elden Ring. I definitely want to go go check out that game and see if it's uh, see if it's any good. No podcast for me tomorrow, uh, but I will podcast after Saturday night's game against you guessed it, the Sacramento Kings, where they come to town. We'll probably see Boogie. We will probably see. Uh, let's see if Demontis Sabonis puts up another 33, 14, and five, and maybe Jokic kind of figures them out down the stretch of that game too. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Really appreciate all the love and support. We'll talk to you guys very soon.